This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 229. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am not your host, Riley Bowman. I am your host, Jacob Paulson, and I am also joined today by Matthew Marister. Hey, and Jacob. Matthew... Hi. Matthew is the guy who can take it, but never dishes it out. Yeah, it's just my kind of my, my shtick. Yeah. And, uh, but you're the guy who just realized that we haven't done the guy who thing on the podcast for quite some time. So Yeah, not cool. <laughs> I was listening to episode like 30-something recently uh, for some arbitrary reason. And I started out with the guy who thing, and I was like, Wow, that's that's that was fun. We haven't done that forever. What's going on? Yeah, we got to get it back in there. Yeah. So Riley is obviously not with us today. He is unavailable um, because you know stuff like no one's dying or anything. But you know, life is the answer. So we are proceeding without Riley. This is our standard usual news episode. And like usual, we're going to kick this off with a case of the week segment from Andrew Banka. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Now, bear in mind that this month of May is the last time you have to enroll in Guardian Nation if you want to qualify to get the Guardian Gearbox that will ship out in August because you have to be a qualifying member for the three months prior to the shipping month. So if you want to get the box that we're going to ship out on August 15th, then you need to join this month so you can be a member in May, June, and July and therefore qualify to get the August box. So make sure before the end of May, you know, midnight on the last day of the month or whatever, that you sign up for Guardian Nation. You can do that at guardiannation.com and more to come from our other sponsors later in this episode. So let's jump right into Andrew Brinka's Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This week's Case of the Week is out of the California Supreme Court. This is a death penalty case, and as is usually the case in appellate court decisions, the defendant here is far from a good guy. Also, as is usual in cases in self-defense, the defendant, in fact, did not deny the shooting and killing of his victim, but rather he conceded that he had done the killing, but that he had acted in self-defense. Of particular interest in this case, however, is an evidentiary ruling by the trial judge that allowed into evidence certain posturing, chest-thumping type statements made by the defendant well before he was involved in the use of force event, indeed long before he'd ever met the victim. And it was allowed as evidence of a malicious state of mind of the defendant when he used force against that victim. In other words, to counter the defendant's claim of self-defense. Now, if you've spent more than five minutes in the gun community, you've seen similar types of posturing, chest-thumping type statements all over the place. As posters, bumper stickers, t-shirts, gun parts, just about anything really. And they can be either explicit statements or images intended to convey a particular message. I'm talking about things like, we don't call 911, keep honking, I'm still reloading, kill them all, let God sort them out, don't run, you'll only die tired, Warning, no trespassing. Violators will be shot. Survivors will be shot again. Or no trespassing. We have guns and shovels. 
And as far as images, perhaps the best known is the Punisher backplate that's available to be put on the back of a Glock or other similar striker-fired pistols. Now, for those who don't know, the Punisher is a fictional character who employs murder, kidnapping, extortion, coercion, threats of violence, and torture in his private campaign against crime. In other words, he acts explicitly outside the law and engages in explicitly criminal activity to achieve his personally desired goals. Then there are also the statements that purport to make fun or light of killing another human being. For example, smile, wait for flash, engraved on the muzzle crown of a firearm, or you're effed on an AR dust cover. All of these signs, bumper stickers, backplates, while not literally words out of a defendant's mouth, are a statement by the defendant. The defendant didn't put up those signs or bumper stickers. He didn't install that dust cover or backplate because the words or images on them did not reflect his state of mind. He did so precisely as an expression of his state of mind. In this case, the defendant, Lang, was a hitchhiker in California. He would encounter the victim, Thurman Anderson, who was driving a motorhome on his way to a hunting site. The defendant would say the victim picked him up, invited him to join the victim at the hunting site, and the defendant agreed. The defendant would claim that after arriving at the hunting site, the victim made a homosexual advance on the defendant. The defendant claimed he pushed the victim away, yelled angrily at him, and then saw the victim turn towards him with the victim's hunting rifle in his hands. At that point, the defendant shot the victim with a thirty-two caliber revolver he had on his person, killing the victim, and the defendant would claim that killing to be necessary self-defense. Now, there was a considerable amount of evidence presented by state prosecutors that was inconsistent with the defendant's self-defense claim, but it's one particular piece of evidence that's relevant to the topic of this case of the week. Specifically, about a month prior to the defendant meeting and killing the victim, the defendant had had a conversation with a friend, and the friend asked why the defendant carried a gun around with him. The defendant's response, quote, I'll waste any MFR that screws with me, close quote. The state sought to introduce this statement as evidence that the defendant possessed a state of mind, that he was willing to use deadly force against even an offense inadequate to make such a use of deadly force lawful. Naturally, the defense objected to admitting the statement, but the trial judge nevertheless allowed it. Now, the defendant was convicted, sentenced to death, and he appealed that conviction. And whether allowing that statement into evidence was reversible error was one of the issues considered by the California Supreme Court in this opinion. And the Supreme Court decided that it was properly admissible evidence to show that the defendant had a motive other than self-defense in killing the victim. This opinion also noted other cases in which the California Supreme Court had ruled that similar statements were properly admitted as evidence for this purpose, including defendants stated that they would kill anyone who tried to lawfully stop them, or they would kill anyone who got in the way of their plan, and that they would not hesitate to eliminate witnesses if they committed a crime. To quote this California Supreme Court decision, quote, the jury could reasonably interpret the defendant's statement, I'll waste any MFR that screws with me, to mean he had a pre-existing intent to kill anyone who interfered with him or thwarted his desires or plans, or in other words, to kill on slight provocation under circumstances where he had no right of self-defense, close quote. Now, 
Back to those bumper stickers and signs and backplates and dust covers. Could a jury similarly reasonably interpret a defendant's placement of the symbol of an above-the-law vigilante on his defensive gun in a similar manner? as evidence that he had a state of mind inconsistent with lawful self-defense? Could they reasonably interpret we don't call 911 to mean the defendant would not seek to help with the police under any circumstances involving the use of force, but instead would always take matters into their own hands? Could they interpret no trespassing, we have guns and shovels, to mean that not only would the defendant shoot and kill someone for a simple trespass, which is unlawful everywhere in America, but that they then engage in the consciousness of guilt conduct of burying the body, burying the evidence to avoid responsibility and accountability? You bet they could. Bottom line, most of us chuckle at what we recognize as the intended humor when we see such signs at gun shows and elsewhere. But in the real world, the taking of a human life is considered a deadly, serious matter by police, prosecutors, judges, and jurors. And any statements that you've made, either explicitly or implicitly, that suggest you possess a state of mind of taking human life, even under circumstances in which doing so would not be lawful self-defense, is only increasing the prospects that your use of purportedly defensive force will be found to be unjustified followed by a sentence of decades to the rest of your life in prison. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash show. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. And there you have it from Andrew Branca. That dude is smart, isn't he, Matthew? Very intelligent guy. Yeah, and he has had this habit lately on his Facebook page of posting these like introspective questions and I get sucked into them every time. I'm like, "Hmm, Interesting, Andrew. Yeah, and, it, it always gets you thinking, right? Yeah, yeah. He's if you don't follow Andrew Branca on his Facebook page, then you know if, if it, it's worth considering at least. Like, go read what he writes. You might be like, oh my gosh, this guy really make you think. All right. So with that, let's get into our news stories, Matthew. Yes, sir. So here's our opening hook story for today. This one, some of you may have heard of or heard about, I suppose. This one says headline. Man opens fire inside Oklahoma restaurant before armed citizen shoots, kills him, police say. And this is on foxnews.com. And technically, this headline is 100% inaccurate. But mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about what happened, Matthew. What went down in Oklahoma? Yeah, so basically, uh, typical 6.30 p.m. dinner time or you know supper time in the evening, a uh, guy walks into uh, a restaurant in Oklahoma City and starts shooting the place up. Um, and it appears as though one of the patrons is who is in the restaurant um, actually runs out to his car because he's not actually carrying his firearm, but it's in the car, um, retrieves his firearm and comes back in. When he comes back in, he sees people running around trying to hide. Um, and he starts to cut, try to calm them down and say, hey, I'm here to help you. I'm looking for the bad guy. Um, he's seen, already seen that some of the some of the patrons in the restaurant have been injured, um, and so he ends up um, 
exchanging fire with this guy and uh and ends up killing him as he's in the in the parking lot yeah yeah correct which is why i say the headline's technically inaccurate because it suggests that well i suppose not inaccurate but the way i read the headline it suggests that the armed citizen kills him inside the restaurant it's anyway Mm -hmm. technically not true but yeah so this is an interesting dynamic situation some good interesting considerations one obviously like we're all thrilled that a good guy with the gun was there to stop the bad guy with the gun but man i feel like the broken record matthew in having to say once again why didn't he have his gun with him yeah and it's unclear if this is like a gun-free zone or what the you know the law is in in oklahoma regarding that but yeah he doesn't have his firearm with him and you know you can't play what if scenarios all the time but if he had his firearm could he have obviously, or could he have engaged the shooter quicker or more quickly? I would imagine so. Um, It took him time to run out and get his firearm. So um, perhaps maybe he saves more people from being injured. Uh, It's difficult to say, but it certainly couldn't hurt to have it on you. No, I haven't followed real well because I've been very confusing trying to get through all this content on this this particular story. Mm-hmm. But I know it said at one time four injured. I've also seen reports of four uh, four people dead. Um, either there's definitely at least some people dead. I'm I'm not sure I've, I've gotten the final numbers. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I know a couple were taken serious conditions, so maybe um, you know they've died since the story. Um, trying to get some updates on actual numbers but the weird thing is or kind of a twist in this story is that and they don't mention in the headline but there was actually another person good guy uh, in quotation marks with a firearm Um, and it's unclear if that guy actually engaged the shooter or not um, or if he was even inside the restaurant maybe he was they don't according to this story they don't even know how this guy became involved in the scene but he was um, he did have a firearm and neither one of the two fire good guys with firearms knew about the presence of the other one. So that's kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have three guys with a gun, two supposedly are good and one's a bad guy. And you know, they, uh, they managed not to get any, uh, friendly fire type thing with the, with the two guys with the gun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we did a podcast episode once, and now I'm trying to see if I can find it, where we talked about this idea of, oh, yeah, here it is, episode 91, myth or fact, CCWer mistakes another CCWer for bad guy. And we talked about you know some of the, the general things that a person might be looking for if trying to determine, hey, is that guy with the gun the good guy or a bad guy? And also things that a person might do to try and communicate that you are, in fact, a good guy responding to this situation. So if you haven't ep- listened to that episode, you might go back and listen to it. But I, I did appreciate that we did get some detail here that our good guy with the gun does give some verbal uh, warnings to the bad mm-hmm. guy before he starts shooting. And that's a real effective way to quickly distinguish, you know, what am I shooting at? Because if you, if you tell someone something like, put the gun down or you know, whatever, stop, and, you know, if it's a good guy, they're probably going to have some level of compliance or at least they're going to communicate. But in this case, if it's a bad guy, they're probably going to either ignore you and or shoot back. So... This one, in the end, it all worked out well. I, I like that the guy says he doesn't feel like a hero. Heroes never feel like heroes. Isn't that crazy? Right. Because, um, you know, some of us are all sit here, we'll listen to podcast episodes like this, or we'll read these news stories, and we'll think, man, this is what I would do. And we kind of almost, you know, imagine ourselves in those situations acting like heroes. But when you, anytime we read a story like this from somebody who actually had to use deadly force to prevent a crime or to stop bloodshed, 
uh, that person never feels like a hero, especially in a case where you know, people lost their lives. And this man is probably sitting there having a hard time sleeping at night, wondering what would have happened if he had his gun with him and he hadn't had to run out to the car to get it. Yeah. Hero is always a term that other people give to people. That, that, you know what I mean? It's never, if you think you're a hero, you probably didn't, didn't you know, um, do it for the right. I don't, I'm not going to generalize it, but most of the people who do something like this don't think they're a hero. They're always told they're a hero by someone else. And, um, and so, yeah, like you're saying, it's just, um, you do what you have to do to survive. You know, we all conceal carriers. You all know that carrying a firearm has so much, so much responsibility, um, attached to it. And it's, it's not something that anybody takes lightly. Yep. Yep. Let's move on to a story that's not so awesome. <laughs> so this headline, this is coming from NBCLosAngeles.com. All right, NBC Los Angeles. Okay, a headline, man at drive-thru shoots restaurant robbery suspect. Now, this is hard to believe or understand. I, I am glad I watched the video before I got too far. They have a good surveillance video on the, on the link here in the show notes, so make sure you click through and you watch the video. And I want to kind of just describe what I see in the video, okay? So the bad dude comes in, and he's, like, got his coat, like, lifted up so as to cover his face. It's super awkward, and he's kind of is acting as if he has a gun in the pocket of the coat. I don't think we ever see if the bad guy, if the armed robber is actually armed or not. I think he's just kind of implying that he mm-hmm. is right. and, um, you know, kind of throws the bag and like fill this thing with money kind of deal. And girl behind the counter, you know, pulls open the register, starts shoving cash in it, goes to hand it to the dude. And then out of nowhere, you just see a gunshot come flying through the, the, the restaurant uh, toward the armed robber. And it's just like, what, 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 where'd that come from? And it turns out that the man in the drive-thru, watching this unfold through the window, no doubt, must have drawn a firearm and shot at the armed robber through the drive-thru window. That's wild. Yeah, super wild. Now, the, the armed robber was hit. They said he uh, was shot in the shoulder and that he, he, didn't, he didn't escape the scene. Uh, they yeah, didn't he, pick him up. he was hit twice. Hit twice, that's right. Yeah. Now, the, um, I'll use the word Good Samaritan loosely here. The Good Samaritan, he took off. He does not want to be identified. He, does not, he did not get his food from the drive-thru. He's long gone, and we don't know who that dude was. So we, we don't know if he's a hero or not, right? Well, we're reluctant to say the word. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so this is an interesting situation, one that I bet none of us have like done a what-if on. I'm at I'm in my car. I'm in a drive-through waiting to get my, you know, sausage McGriddle because they're awesome. <laughs> and hey, look inside the restaurant. I see something happening. What do I do now? Before I go, you know, we open that up to something more general. I'm just going to throw it out there that in this case, this is a hard sell for me. The idea of drawing the gun and shooting at a man, particularly the the timing, I find interesting. The timing here was such that the man had perpetrated his act had made whatever threats he was going to make, had the, the money basically in hand and was about to leave. And mm-hmm. that's when the shots rang out. Yeah. It, and so it, it, it always boils around. It comes down to when you intervene on somebody else's behalf. Right then and there, it always starts a, a, a difficult you know, a- analysis of the situation because now you have to look at this other person and, and 
and, and kind of figure out, okay, what exactly is going on? Is this real? Is this fake? Is this, you know, uh, what, what's going on? And then, so it's just so difficult. So, you know, maybe he's, maybe after he shoots the, the robber, he's, he feels like, man, maybe that wasn't the right thing. Like, I, I don't, you know, I'm getting out of here, you know? And so I don't know if that was it or he just didn't want to be around, but obviously that's not the right thing to do. If, if, you know, if you use your firearm in self-defense or defense of somebody else and you can articulate why you should, or, or you know why you, you, you fire those shots, you should be able to articulate it and stick around for the police and just tell them. I mean, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's something fishy, not fishy, but something up with this guy who, who ended up shooting like he had a second remorse or second thought about why he did it or, or something. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, he's, he's a criminal who owns that gun illegally and was just trying to do a good deed that day. Right. Or maybe that he identified the armed robber as a member of a rival gang. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, that, that's pretty extreme. Probably not, but Either way, yeah, that's a good lesson to drive from this, and that is that you know if we if we act well, then we should not be intimidated to stick around and tell our story. They're going to find him, and yeah, oh, when yeah, they yeah. do, this is not going to this is not going to bode well for his story, right? Like, why did you drive off? Exactly. So, you know, the, the just the premise, the idea that I can get away and no one will know the the wiser is kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah. Yeah. And not just that, but like, I guess from a, a tactical standpoint as well is, you know, we have to identify our target and what's beyond it. Right. And I'm gauging, I'm guessing, you know, I've been through a drive through those windows are small and your, your field of view when you're looking through them is also very diminished. Right. So when you're looking through a, through a drive-through window, how, how can you see what's on the other side of this guy or what's behind? I mean, there might be other people eating, you know, eating in the restaurant or other employees. So to just, I mean, you might have a good picture on the guy, but since you're shooting through such a small opening, it is probably not advice. You know, it's probably not the best shot, even just tactically speaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's an ugly shot. And, and then we come down to what we're defending too, is the other kind of main question here for me is, you know, what are, what are, what are exactly we're defending? As far as I can tell, we're defending the cash that the restaurant holds in that register at this point. I mean, maybe, maybe the argument could have been made that when he first walked in there and he said something like, you know, and we don't know what he said, but let's say that, you know, you're sitting in the drive-thru and you hear the person say, you know, give me the money, I'll shoot you, shoot you in the head, you know, or something. And you're like, what? someone's going to shoot someone in the head. Like, crap. Um, you know, that, that, that's pretty articulable. Maybe that's a, a good thought, you know, in terms of using deadly force. But in this case, the whole thing unfolds. The man gets his money in the hand. He's about to leave, and that's when shots ring out. So what we're really defending at that point is just you know some restaurant cash. Uh, I also find it interesting that the news reporter in the story, like the very end of this video, says something like, "The manager of the restaurant, you know, is very grateful for this man's actions." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, the manager really cares cares a lot about the bottom line. Doesn't care about bullets flying around <laughs> in this restaurant. It could be full of of customers. Yeah. Uh... So, Whatever That's that an interesting like. one. Yeah, good times. Should we go to Vegas? Yeah. All right. So this one is on fox5vegas.com. So the headline, police. Las Vegas teen shoots and kills father, exchange fire with mother. Oh, this is another wild one. Yeah, and that sounds a little like, huh, what? No, it's exactly what it sounds like. There's nothing actually confusing or misleading about that is all. Las Vegas police said they believe a 15-year-old shot his father in the head in the garage, 
Shortly after, he went inside the home and shot his mother in the stomach. His mother grabbed a firearm and shot her son. They then say the teen jumped over the back wall after the shooting, but was taken into custody by responding police officers about a quarter mile away. All right, so we're starting to get a trend of these. I feel like we're getting a trend where a couple times a year now, it seems like we have one of these stories where parents have to shoot at their kids or kids are shooting at their parents. And it seems to be pretty legitimate self-defense, but all within the family. Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, think, just think about, you know, not, not just, you know, we all know kids sometimes kill their parents. There's all kinds of high profile stories and, and things like that. But like, imagine you end up, you end up realizing that your 15 year old son just shot your husband and killed him and now shot you. And now you have to make the decision. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot back at my, my son. I mean, that it, it's, it's gotta be the most difficult thing. Even, even knowing that he just killed your husband and shot at you, it, there's, I mean, that's your flesh and blood, right? That's your, that's your offspring. So this is just a, a, a terrible story. Um, and it, it shows that, you know, this kid obviously was disturbed. Um, they said, you know, later down in the article, they're talking about uh, investigating to see if there were other domestic violence types issues or behavioral type issues with the 15 year old, but it doesn't say anything of, at least they don't release anything uh, right now. Um, You know, the neighbors say, Oh, you know, the standard line, I would have never thought, you know, I didn't think that he was capable of doing this or that. But so, I mean, wow, the kid shoots, shoots his mother. Now, uh, you know, think about this. If she doesn't can't retrieve a gun, she's dead. I mean, there there's no doubt about that. And maybe this guy's this kid's uh, idea is to go on a killing spree. Maybe he goes to the next school or he goes down to the next Walmart and starts shooting up the place. So, I mean, it's you know it, he's obviously not right in the head, and uh, and she would definitely been dead. I mean, he killed his his father. Why wouldn't he have killed his mother? You know. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head. That is that you know we we only see up to the point that the incident actually ends, and in, and in these justified esque stories, if I can call this justified, um, it, we don't know what would have happened if the good guy with the gun hadn't been there, right? We don't know what would have happened if mom had not been able to access or retrieve a firearm and shoot back. Uh, but I think it's very reasonable, uh, to your point, Matthew, to assume that what might have happened is mom would also be dead. And yeah, this kid could have been down the road at the school shooting up, you know, he's 15. Yeah. So is it that hard to imagine that, you know, if he's going to shoot mom and dad, that he's going to go down, down the road and start shooting other people Um, or at the library or, you know, who knows where else he might've been going to start shooting. We don't have any background on this individual, nor do we really need any because I'm inclined to not need to study, you know, all the whys and, and whatever's of these active shooters. But yeah, it, it was not going to go well. Uh, this the, the tragedy was not over. And so at very least here, yeah, mom's got to live with the fact that she shot her son, but they're both expected to su- survive. And yeah. hopefully this mother's role as a mother is not over and she can yet have some good positive influence on this this youth. Um, there are some interesting things in the article, you know, you know, things that neighbors are saying about, you know, kind of quirks about this individual or how different he was or unique or kind of strange or whatever. And so, you know, we continue to have to deal with, with some of those things and, and consider and talk through, you know, as a parent, what does that look like? Because 
I think that what we have to be careful about is we don't want to shame parents. We don't want to get into a situation where we say, all right, if you think your kid could have homicidal tendencies, then you're a bad parent. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe some mistakes have been made in parenting, but geez, you know, what parent is perfect? Uh, we have to instead more look at it and say, hey, if, if you, know, you think your kid has these issues, let's Let's treat the kid. Let's help the child. Let's get them the help that we that we need. You know, I'm a Christian dude, so are you, Matthew? And you mm-hmm. know, Cain killed his brother. Just, you know, none of us have ever been like, oh, Adam and Eve, they're bad parents. You know? <laughs> so, so you know, maybe that's a, a dumb little metaphor, but I think that you know, as parents, if you're listening to this and you have kids or you know someone who has kids that that are concerning, um, we have to focus on you know not shaming the parents but supporting the parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and getting your kid into some psychiatric help or just counseling, um, there is a lot of stigma to it, you know, uh, not only for the parents, but for the child as well. And it's difficult. I know a lot of insurance companies, it it doesn't always um, cover everything and, and, and it's hit or miss. So, you know, that I think that when whenever there's a conversation about gun violence or violence in general, um, there has to, that has to be a component of it, you know, cause it, it is regardless of what the weapon is or what the, you know, what the person used, the, the problem is a, a problem of the heart and a problem of the mind to be able to do such a, such a horrible thing. So I think if you can start addressing those issues, then, you know, you, you don't have to worry so much about what's the weapon they're using. Is it a knife or a gun or a rock? Too true. Okay, here's our next story. This is from the reporteronline.com. A very original URL. <laughs> All right, so the reporteronline.com. Headline, jury acquits Hatfield man of manslaughter in party goers shooting death. Matthew, give us a story. Yeah, so we almost we almost uh, took this one out. Uh, Jacob and I talked about it before, but um, but we thought it had some really good takeaways from it. So basically, what ends up happening um, is this guy goes through a, a trial and he was finally acquitted. But the incident was he was at a party, um, he's carrying a firearm, and he sees a woman and her husband get involved in a physical altercation. Um, and it's, you know, there's always two sides of the story. He says that he was choking, that that the husband was uh, choking his wife. um, And the the woman who survives, obviously, um, her husband is now dead because he shoots him. Um, But the woman says, no, he was just grabbing the back of my head and back of my neck and guiding me out, out of the house. So they're having this argument at this house, uh, at the party guy grabs the back of her neck. And this is where, you know, the two stories kind of branch off. The guy who shoots the husband says, yeah, he was choking her. And I believe that he was, she was, uh, uh, going to suffer some sort of serious bodily injury. And, so he shoots based on that, right? Um, and now it comes down to the trial. And of course, the woman, you know, the stories might have changed because it's it's really how it was perceived. Or maybe in retrospect, she feels guilty, like, uh, you know, this, this is partially my fault and this is what happened. So, you know, she kind of dials back what she was actually feeling at that moment and says, no, he wasn't really, you know, harming me. He was just guiding me out of the home. And so now that puts this guy in a predicament um, where ultimately he is um, 
he is acquitted. Um, and so, you know, we shouldn't confuse being acquitted of a crime and being innocent, right? So it's just, I think in this case, um, kind of like the earlier one where we're talking about once you get involved in, in a third party uh, incident and you decide to use force on somebody else's behalf, you really have to be crystal clear and solid about what's going on because uh, this one ended, you know, an acquittal. And I wouldn't say it's a happy ending because the husband's dead and, and, and maybe that's, you know, that's not something to say it's a win. But I think you just got to you really got to be sure of what's going on and, and when you intervene on somebody else's behalf. Yeah, I'm on the record as, as saying often that defending strangers is optional, but my own survival and freedom is required. Mm. So, you know, when we make the decision to defend strangers or others, I should even just use more broadly, except these people were not totally strangers. Um, but when we make that decision, you know, the, the degree of caution which we need to exercise and the amount of certainty that we need to have has got to be much higher than when we're defending ourselves or, or a loved one. Um, so I appreciate what you said about that, Matthew. Here, here's what I think is most interesting. Let's assume, just for fun, let's just assume that everyone who testified on the stand in this trial was saying what they believed to be true, that no one was actively lying, okay? So, and which I think, by the way, is a very plausible assumption. I think that's very plausibly true. So this is a party full of people. It's not like there were five people here. This, there's a bunch of people here. And the homeowner, uh, who's the shooter in this case, the guy who was recently acquitted, you know, he, he, he was observing this, this domestic incident long enough that he started to become concerned significantly enough that he decided to go and retrieve the gun during the middle of the party and start to wear it around concealed. And then later, based on circumstance, decided to pull it and shoot it. So, so consider that, like that this, this man, it was really like he was observing this for some time and, and was getting, you know, his concern was growing. And then on the flip side, you have um, the now, you know, widow whose husband has been gunned down saying, no, he was just trying to guide me out of the party. Um, she has no injuries other than just the scratch on the back of her neck, nothing that looks like she was choked um, as, the, as the shooter suggested or indicated that's what he saw. And you have a party full of people uh, who are basically split down the middle. Half of them are, being, are testifying for the defense and the other half are testifying for the prosecution. So for me, one of the biggest lessons here is, you know, we, we assume, you know, after the incident that, of course, everybody's going to remember exactly what we remember. Everyone saw exactly what we saw and that all the evidence will support what we saw and what we believe to be true. But evidence is a finicky thing that may or may not be even available to support your story. And this is a case where, you have you know, dozens of people who didn't see the same thing. Mm -hmm. And a man's freedom hangs in the balance based on, you know, trying to piece together an accurate narrative based on conflicting, um, you know, witness statements. So anyway, you know, for what that's worth, think about that next time you, you know, you're, you're pondering your what ifs. All right, Matthew. On to the next one here. This is on NBCDFW.com. So I guess we'll assume this is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This is the local NBC affiliate. And the headline, McKinney, vet, says he's been evicted for pulling a gun in self-defense. Mm -hmm. So here's what I gather. Uh, we have a situation where this dude, um, Reese Jacob, huh, good name, Reese Jacob, 29 years old, lives in an apartment complex. He's a vet, obviously. He served two tours overseas before he was discharged in 2013. 
And uh, when he got home, him and uh, his friend, and, and who's the neighbor, was about to sell a cell phone. Imagine, you know, for me, it's your average, you know, classified transaction. So he goes with his friend and to meet the buyer, uh, you know, in, in this apartment complex somewhere. And when they meet the buyer, the buyer turns out to not be so interested in paying for said thing. And, you know, it turns into a, a violent encounter. So at a couple times during the course of this event, Reese Jacob draws his gun and he displays it. He never fires the gun at anyone, but he does display the gun um, to, you know, toward the, the supposed buyer of the cell phone and uh, is able to de-escalate the situation and no one, no one gets hurt, okay? But that, you know, what, what could have been the end of this little game turned out not to be when he got a letter from his uh, landlord. Yeah, which is kind of, uh, I. they even give a statement, which it'd be better if they just didn't give a statement at all, because his statement is kind of sad um, that, that that's what they're hanging their hat on. But uh, the statement from the, you know, the manager managing complex uh, says, we applaud his bravery and civic minded spirit. Okay, that's too, you know, that's good. Bravery and civic minded spirit. But trying to be a vigilante and, in, and interact with an alleged perpetrator is dangerous. All right. So, okay. Not really sure. I mean, they're applauding him on one hand for being brave, which is interacting with a perpetrator who is dangerous. That's kind of like what made him, you know, or exemplified his bravery and civic minded spirit is saying, you know, he's not being a vigilante. He was tased in the back of the neck by this guy who is trying to rob him. I, I don't, think that that's necessarily being a vigilante. I mean, that's self-protection, right? I mean, if he would have gone and chased this guy down the street and then held him at gunpoint, yeah, I think that's, you know, a little bit extreme, but you know, the the guy pulled out a weapon and tried to try to rob him. So I don't, I think that their, their statement to, to bolster why they're evicting this kid or this guy is, is really sad. I'll also add unfounded legally. I mean, may, maybe they do. Maybe maybe in this guy's lease agreement that he signed, it says something about never displaying a firearm, even in self-defense, on, on property or something. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what's in his lease agreement. It, it, you know, so maybe they do have some legal you know, grounds by which they can evict him based on this action. But to your point, Matthew, the whole thing is bullcrap. It's like it, it, I, I get so frustrated when companies or organizations or you know, people with influence – try and uh, you know react like this and when they when they they try and give negative consequences to people who have done nothing more than try and defend themselves you know mm-hmm. we see this when when companies you know fire employees after they have to use a firearm in self defense on the job you right. know things like that it's just like you know, come on um, yeah. maybe you know we could argue whether or not the the apartment complex has any negligence because a crime took place on their property that would be an interesting one too but what's certainly true is that they shouldn't hold someone uh guilty and kick them out just because the person you know was inclined to draw a firearm and not even fire it which shows great uh in, in my opinion you know judgment and right. character um in order to defend themselves so anyway shame on you you know, whoever you apartment complex is. I didn't, I didn't actually see the name of the apartment complex, but yeah. In Parkview legends, there you go. Parkview legends on El Dorado Parkway. 
Yeah, don't run an apartment there. <laughs> but, but you know, the thing is, is, and they always throw out, and I'm sure that this is what they're going to try to get them on a clause, a, a safety clause. Like, they'll throw out this ambiguous, like, for the safety of the other tenants, right? Like, he pulled out a firearm, and it was dangerous for the safety of the other tenants. When when an employee gets fired for, you know, defending themselves with the firearm, it's, well, the safety of our employees is very important, so we can't have people uh, walking around with firearms. And it's like, well, if the safety of your employees are so, is so paramount, then let them defend themselves like they just did. Like, I, I don't get it. They throw out this. The, or do something to protect them yourselves. You know, right. like maybe you should send armed security around with your pizza delivery drivers, or maybe <laughs> you should put up some bulletproof glass, you know, between the, the counter and the rest of the gas station where this dude mm-hmm. just got robbed. Like, you know, if you really care about the safety of the tenants at your apartment complex, maybe you should have some armed security dudes cruising to make sure that this crap don't go down. Yep. You know, take some, take some proactive action here and stop. You know, I'm sorry. I cut you off, Matthew, but I just got pissed off. No, no, I, that's, that was my, that was my point. You, you, uh, you knocked it out of the ballpark there. That that was my point is, it, you know, it's disingenuous when you just throw out this caveat word, like, Oh, for the, for the safety, that's what we're doing it for, for safety. And it's like, no, you're not. It's, it's crystal clear that you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe for your insurance policy, but that's about mm-hmm. as close as you get. All right. So uh, kdminer.com. This is the trusted local news leader for Kingman, Arizona and Mojave County. All right. So uh, gunmaker Ruger will track and report on gun violence after shareholder vote. So in a shareholder meeting on May 8th in Prescott, Arizona, uh, Ruger, the company, they you know, essentially were forced to uh, agree to report on uh, stuff. Uh, so here, here, here's the issue. This is what someone issued for a vote, and the vote was passed. They said, I move that the board issue a report to shareholders by February of 2019 at reasonable expense and excluding proprietary information on the company's activities related to gun safety measures and the mitigation of harm associated with gun products, including the following. Evidence of monitoring of violent uh, events associated with products produced by the company efforts underway to research and produce safer guns and gun products, an assessment of the corporate's re- uh, reputational and financial risk associated with gun violence in the United States, end quote. And that proposal passed. Yeah, and that's exactly what I had highlighted, Jacob, uh, that I, I was most disturbed about, um, or not disturbed, but caught my eye the most. Um, you know, there's a couple of things that I just don't understand how you quantify this or how you even report on it. So, um, yeah, you, you can you can uh, talk about what has the company done to, um, you know, for gun safety measures, uh, things like that. Right. So are there outreach programs that they've gone through or, you know, donated money to these groups? Um, yeah, yeah, you could you could see that. Right. And then uh, but. What I don't understand is, all right, efforts underway to research and produce safer guns and gun products. Okay, guns by their very nature are are dangerous. I mean, it, they're deadly. They're they're able to inflict death or serious bodily injury. I mean, that's why you have them to protect yourself. Uh, it, it, you could make a safer gun. Yeah, they're called like uh, you know Nerf guns. 
that's a very safe gun, right? But it's not very, you know, appropriate to defend yourself against somebody who has a real gun. So I don't understand what safer guns means. Um, gun products, okay? Uh, what, what's, what's a safer gun product? Like uh, cleaning solvent that is, you know, more easy on the hands or, you know, environmentally safe? I just don't understand these ambiguous terms that they want, that they want this report to reflect. And, and even so, what's the, what's the end result? What's the end outcome of, you know, okay, we haven't made a safer gun. We don't make RFID, you know, guns. Is that, that, that make us a bad company? Are the, 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 uh, consumer doesn't want it. It's not, it's not practical. Um, so does that make us a bad company? I, I don't know. I don't, it, it just, it, I'm so confused by this. Yeah, it's screwy. Like, how do you how do you monitor violent events associated with products produced by the company? Yeah. So, do the police like somehow like send a report to you? Hey, FYI, another one of your guns was using a crime. No, that doesn't happen. How in the world are you going to monitor violent events associated with products produced by the company? Right. I, I, I mean, and, and even so, okay, what does it matter if it was a Ruger handgun yeah. or, you know, a, a, a Taurus handgun? I mean, what, if, what if, value? Yeah. Well, yeah it, it, and then I think it answers that question in the end is the assessment of the corporate's reputational and financial risk. So they're saying, oh, well, uh, if, if, you know, we produce a gun and then it's, uh, used in a, in a mass shooting. And then our name is associated with that kind of like, um, uh, whatchamacallit with, uh, coming up with a blank, um, Bushmaster. So they're, they're not, you know, they're synonymous, synonymously known as, you know, the AR 15 that was used in the mass shooting. So I, I don't know. I think it's, I, I applaud the concept of saying, Hey, as a firearm company, let's, Let's look to see if we can, you know, do anything um, to educate people on how to, you know, use firearms more safely. And I think most companies do that. I mean, I, you know, most uh, firearm manufacturers do that. They engage with a lot of outside companies um, in, in organizations to put push gun safety measures and things like that. And so I just, I, I'm, I'm just really confused. And, and so I think uh, as I read on, you know, it asks the, the very question, is this shareholder revolt or, or an advocacy actions where, you know, um, people who want to advocate for a certain thing or against the company uh, purchase a bunch of shares so they can influence that company, you know? Um, I don't that's, know. Maybe. That's part of the danger of being publicly traded. Yep, you know? exactly. Yeah. You mentioned that before. Yeah. So uh, it is what it is, is the short answer. And I guess that they'll prepare a report and that's what they've committed to doing. Mm. But you'd think that shareholders of a stock would be, you know, among other things, concerned about the long-term viability of a company, you know, among other things. But uh, to your point, Matthew, I mean, these, these manufacturers, are they they're looking for things that they can do just to end gun violence? I believe they do. Yeah. Um, how, how well do they do with that? I don't know. It's kind of like the awkwardness where we've we've essentially regulated that uh, companies that uh, sell beer and alcohol related products also have to spend a certain amount of their advertising budget on uh, safe consumption messaging. Mm-hmm. So you know, could that be something that comes out of these firearm companies potentially? But I don't I don't know. Something to think about. All right, let's go to Little Caesars, shall we? Yes, pizza, Speaking pizza, pizza. 
So this is on NBC4i.com. This one's not too far from you, I think. No. And this one, this was pretty cool. Um, There's a good video of it, but, you know, and I don't know what it is with pizza delivery drivers. This has got to be one of the most dangerous jobs in America every single week. Um, But yeah, so another pizza, uh, pizza guy, he's not a, he's not on delivery. He's locking up the store for the night, walks out of the store. Um, You see him on the, on the surveillance camera, he locks up the door and right away as he exits and locks that door, uh, a guy comes up and hits him with a piece of wood. It looks like, you know, kind of like a two by four or something like that. Hits him with the with a piece of wood um, and then pulls out a pair of scissors and starts to try to stab this guy. Um, oh, yeah. And meanwhile, he's wearing a scary con mask. Yeah. So so imagine you're on the ground. You've been smacked in the back uh, with with some piece of wood. And now you got this guy who's on top of you trying to stab you with scissors. So first thing I'm thinking is, okay, I got to somehow hold, I have to win the fight I'm in, right? Which is the fight over the scissors and me getting stabbed. And at the same time in my mind, I'm probably thinking, I got a gun. How do I get to my gun? How do I get to my gun? How do I draw my gun? I shoot this guy. But in the meanwhile, it's like, well, I don't want to get stabbed while I'm trying to get my gun. So always, you know, remember this idea about winning the fight you're in. You know, we got, we can't, we can't just let someone go to town on us and work us over while we're drawing a gun. That's not a winning proposition. But anyway, we, we don't see on surveillance camera. We see the guy locking up, we see him go out and then we see kind of that initial attack and then the rest of it goes off camera. But this, this, this guy, this guy is able to get to his firearm. He is able to fire and shoot the clown mask dude. And uh, it's game over. Yeah. So, we don't know anything uh, right now about uh, what Little Caesar is going to do. We have reported on stories in the past where I know, I think, oh, I don't know about Little Caesars actually. No, I think, but I'm sure I've read st- stories about Domino's and uh, Pizza Hut firing people because yeah. they had a gun with them at work and used it in their own defense. I'm not sure about Little Caesars, but it does say that the man has not been charged with a crime. The restaurant employee has not been charged with a crime. Uh, so anyway, pretty, pretty wild. And the other thing I thought was really interesting that we might be able to learn from this. In the surveillance video, which is from inside the store, you see the employee kind of go to the back door. Um, you see him uh, with the, there's a panel on the wall where he puts in some code and arms the security system for the store. You see him actually look left and look right mm-hmm. through this back door to kind of see, is there anybody out in this parking lot looking for me? He, he's being very situationally aware and kind of cautious. And then he opens the door and steps out and boom, hit right in the back. So you know, maybe he could have done better. Maybe he didn't look as well as he could. But, you know, kind of talking about that idea, things can come out of nowhere. How aware are we? You know, and, and trying to be cautious. I thought this was a really interesting story because this guy appeared to be doing a pretty good job of, of kind of exercising caution. Yeah, and it underscores, I mean, don't be surprised at the lengths people will go through to rob you. Um, this is a, clearly an ambush. I mean, he was waiting for him. He probably knew when the store was closed and knew um, you know, what, what was the field of view as from the employee before he got out the door, you know, he can only see up to this point. So if I step around this corner, I'm going to be totally, you know, clear. And so, you know, the ambush thing, it's real. You can be as alert as you can. Um, but if you miss that one corner, you know, now you have to respond like, like you were talking about Jacob and win that fight that you're in. So, uh, you know, I'd be interested to learn a little bit more about the, the, the employee, what his training or background is and, and what was going through his mind, because I think that'd be interesting, uh, interesting talk. 
Yeah, it would be the first pizza del- pizza pizza employee that we had to interview on our podcast, <laughs> right? So, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good one, and it's worth fo- watching the video. I would encourage you to find the link in the show notes, um, or if you're listening to our podcast via an app that doesn't doesn't allow you to click on the links in our show notes, which is very frustrating. But there are some of the some of you guys do use apps, podcast apps that you can't get to the links in the show notes. So you can go to our website, you can go to consultcare.com, you can find it. Uh, podcast.consultcare.com is kind of where we have all the podcast related stuff. So you can find it there. Okay. Let's go to, oh my gosh, A-R-K-L-A-T-E-X homepage.com. They should be fired immediately for having the word homepage in the URL. (laughs) Okay. So the headline, woman shoots, comma, kills boyfriend. All right, so this is in Texas, and uh, the Boy County Sheriff's officials giving us all the, all the details of what's going on. And essentially what happens is the woman says uh, her boyfriend, Cecil, uh, he choked her to the point that she passed out while he was assaulting her. She said she picked up a handgun to protect herself when she regained consciousness. According to Burnett, Barnett, Ellis continued his assault on her and was shot during the confrontation. Deputies say it was obvious that Ellis, that's the bad dude, had succumbed to his injuries prior to their arrival. So at this point, she has not been charged, but the investigation is ongoing. So what do you take out from this one, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, once again, the great equalizer, right? The firearm. He he was obviously uh, physically able to at least least choke her to the point where she was uh, passed out, right? At least once. So he's got to have a, there is a disparage, disparity, disparity, what, what, what word am I, <laughs> disparity, right, of, of, of strength between the two, right? So um, that right there, you know, it's leading um, one to believe that it is reasonable use of force, right? And so she passes out, regains consciousness, he continues the assault, she realizes, hey, this dude's really going to harm me. And I'm not going to be able to get away. And maybe next time he chokes me and I'm not going to wake up, grabs a gun, shoots him, um, and, and saves, her, saves her life, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought this was a good one to show that, you know, weird things happen. Um, and, and so when you start adding these things together and you can point to different facts that lead you to be able to justify why um, you thought the way you thought and why you thought that you needed to use uh, a, a firearm. Yeah, absolutely. This is one we've heard a couple of times. It's the domestic you know, violence gone bad. And I would love to hear what all the gun grabbers out there would have loved for this woman to have done. They probably would have said, well, we just would have loved to her, for her to have had to have been required to go through a bunch of training and register that gun and have it in her house and pass a background check and make sure it's locked in a safe too, you know, and, and mm. can't use any of those dangerous bullets either. Yeah. But they needed a safer gun. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe a safer, safer. but anyway, you know, this, 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 like you said, it's the great equalizer. So she did what she had to do. And in this case, it probably, I mean, it could have saved her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's a horrible, horrible thing that this man is dead, but it's a wonderful thing that this woman is still alive. And yeah. we don't know what would have happened, but clearly, you know, the way I read it, she's pretty justified when someone chokes you to the point of you passing out and then they continue the assault. I'd say, you know, deadly force is justified. Yeah. And we normally, you know, we jump usually to the death part, but 
I mean, you can also use deadly force to protect yourself against serious bodily injury. And, you know, obviously cutting off blood supply or oxygen to your brain. I mean, if you end up having brain damage or, or something like that, and you need to be plugged into a wall to survive, I would say that that's, you know, pretty serious bodily injury. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just, this, this was a, a, a short story, but I thought it, it was really good to, to emphasize, you know, how, how the firearm is just the great equalizer. Yeah. We're, we're going to jump to another story that's very similar. This is uh, in McMinn County, Tennessee. Man, I wonder if they named that after somebody. So that's a horrible county name, McMinn, <laughs> M-C-M-I-N-N. I don't know. Anyway, okay. So the headline here from newschannel9.com, McMinn woman shoots ex-boyfriend after authorities say he violated protection order. So this is uh, interesting. This one is similar in the sense that we have a domestic violence incident and a firearm was used. But in this case, we know specifically that the female at the residence had recently left her boyfriend and had recently obtained arrest warrants and order of protection against him for a previous domestic assault. So, Matthew, you've been a police officer. You've had to deal with this kind of drama. Uh, this, is, this is a situation where there's, there's an arrest warrant. This man has no, a warrant out for his arrest, and there's an order of protection against him. Obviously, those pieces of paper mean he'll never show up and harm anybody ever again, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all you need, right? No, it, you know, the, the, and so there's always that argument about, okay, the restraining order. Does it, is it a good thing or a bad thing? And, and he, here, here's just my two cents on it. Some people will point to and say, if you get a restraining order against this guy, it's just going to enrage him and then he's going to come and harm you. Okay. If you don't get a restraining order, you know, it's just a piece of paper. Don't get a restraining order. It's just a piece of paper. It can't protect you. I understand both sides of the coin and I understand both those arguments. I think there's a third argument that you have to look at it from the, the police point of view and your potential, um, being able to document why the frame of mind you were in when you shot your ex boyfriend for, you know, coming into your, or into your home. So, you know, a, a restraining order gives police, uh, tools in order to arrest this guy, you know, to, to arrest somebody when they haven't really create, uh, you know, can, uh, when they haven't really committed another crime, right? So just merely, you know, showing up outside your apartment, if you have a restraining order against that guy, the police can come and arrest him, right? Outside of that, they can say, you know what? We can't really do anything. It's not illegal to stand on the, on the sidewalk over there. So, you know, it kind of ties their hands when, when, when they want to protect you. So, and I understand people will say, well, it, you know, it's just going to enrage a person. If you're afraid of somebody being enraged enough to harm you because you get a restraining order, well, that person's probably going to harm you whether or not you have a restraining order. Yeah. You have that, bigger that, problems. Yeah. You have bigger problems. So, uh, you know, yes, the restraining order is not going to protect you. It's not a shield. So you do need something to equalize the situation. Um, and obviously uh, that was a firearm in this case as well, you know, so. Yeah. This woman got it. She understood. She said, mm-hmm. okay, this, this dude's violent. I have a problem. Um, this is just an ex-boyfriend. We don't know, you know, we know it's just a boyfriend, not, not an ex-husband or anything, but we know that she had recently obtained quote arrest warrants and an order of protection. And we know that she must've been concerned enough to actually have gone purchased a firearm. And we don't know if she got any training, but perhaps she got a permit or she took a class in Tennessee in order to get a permit. A person does have to take a class that does involve live fire. 
So maybe she took a class and she did shoot the gun or maybe she's been to the range, but she's prepared because she knows that, that piece of paper is probably not going to stop him. All it does is help her, her legal case and help the law enforcement help her, right? So around 1 a.m., the bad dude comes to the residence in violation of the order, and it appears he again assaulted the woman who then shot him several times. He sustained serious injuries and was transported to Chattanooga, Chatt- Chattanooga Hospital. And it says that he will still face the previous charges and now will likely be charged with violating the order of protection and the assault once he's out of the hospital. So good job, unnamed woman yes. who took all of the actions in, in her arsenal, right? She, did, she, she used all the tools that were available to her to do what had to be done in this case and uh, might have saved her life. We don't know. Mm-hmm. All right, so a couple of domestic incidents there. All right, we're, uh, we're getting close, guys. We've got just a couple more stories for you. So now we're going to WSMV.com in Nashville, and the headline is Three Teen Suspects in Armed Robbery Shootout in Bellevue Neighborhood. Okay, so this is another fun, interesting one. Let me see if I can roughly get, get, you, know, get you up to speed. You have a woman, she's driving home into uh, an apartment complex is kind of how I gather it. And while she's driving into the apartment complex, she gets bumped by another car from behind. Okay. And uh, when that happens, the, the criminals get out of the car that's behind her and they try to accost this woman, but she doesn't get out of the car. Instead, she hits the gas and continues on. And she gets into, it says she turned into the alley near her son's town home. And then she began honking her horn beside her son's house. The, uh, the son comes out with the gun and one of the suspects fires the, his gun first. We don't know if he fired it at the driver, the woman, or if, she fire, if he fired it at the son who's now come out of the townhouse. Not very clear. But the son fires at least three shots back and the suspects drive away. No one is injured. Um, but the police do say that they believe that these criminals have been involved in two other overnight armed robberies that are similar in nature. Yeah. Total, I mean, total textbook, you know, a little diversionary trick, you know, tap the bumper, get the person to come out and then overwhelm them. Sort of the same ambush type scenario, you know, you can, but luckily in, in this case as well, she was, she was alert. She probably something, you know, keyed in on her, why she didn't get out of, out of the car right away. Cause that's typically what's, you know, you jump out as, Oh my God, you know, you, you hit my car. I got to go look at the damage. Probably something keyed in on her. And she was like, something doesn't seem right. She stays in the car and, uh, and was able then to think, okay, I'm going to get away from these people I have my vehicle. I can drive away. Unfortunately, she was probably in a, like a cul-de-sac area where she couldn't circle back around, you know, and get out. Uh, that probably be obviously the, 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 the more preferred thing than, than driving to your home. But in, in any event, she drives to the home, beeps the horn, uh, sun comes out, probably looks out the window and is like, Oh my God, you know, I see dudes with firearms and stuff like that and comes out ready to, ready to protect, uh, protect life. And, uh, yeah, is it's just it's one of those things where I don't know what kind of neighborhood this is, you know. I don't know, um, but you have three teens that are committing armed robberies, a series of armed robberies, you know. And so you can never be let your guard down. Not even you know when you're in your 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 safety bubble zone of your home, you know, um, or around your home. It's just. You just got to be alert and I'm not trying to make people paranoid or, or say you got to be super hyper vigilant, but 
You know, that level of, we've seen it in a couple stories here, that level of situational awareness, just, just a little above the average, right? Not like super, you know, uh, I'm in condition red all the time, but like, you know, just that you kind of bump up your, your situational awareness in certain situations. Uh, I think it's, it saved both of these people from, from either being injured or, or killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, super valid point. Uh, I, I, we published a article on our website this morning. That was my review of some body armor. And in that review, I said something about how I personally am not yet to the point where I wear body armor every day. Maybe I should be like, I'm not, I'm not saying that's acceptable or not acceptable only that I just haven't gotten there personally. But tonight I'm going to a baseball game and I can't take my gun. I'm wearing body armor, mm. you know. Um, and, and and I guess what I'm trying to say is Matthew, what you said about, you know, we can't be in condition red all the time. I don't think that's realistic. I don't think it's healthy either. Right, right. Um, but we do have to just kind of acknowledge situations where something's out of the ordinary. We need to raise our game. And in this case, I think the woman did a good job. So let's quickly, just for for fun, uh, let's you know as a listener of this podcast, like let's pr- pretend you're one of these people. Let's, let's start with the driver. You know, you get the bump. It's, it's, it's nighttime. It may or may not be dark, but you're, you're not exactly on a public road with a bunch of people watching. You get the bump, you look in the rearview mirror. Um, you're like, you know, I don't, I don't have to get out of this car. I'm going to observe first. And maybe you observe, you know, a woman and she's got, you know, kids and car seats and she's freaking out and, you know, crying and like calling your husband and you're like, oh, okay, like, this looks pretty normal. Like maybe you look around a little bit more. Maybe you do get out of the car. I don't know. That's a decision to be made. But, th- but in this case, you look and what you see is a couple of dudes jump out with guns and they're walking toward you. <laughs> and now you're really glad you did not get out of the car. So instead mm. you put it back and drive and you hit the gas, right? Yeah. So good work. Now let's imagine you're the son, which is interesting, right? So you're chilling. You know mom's on her way over and you're hanging out. You're watching... Mythbusters, <laughs> you know, I don't know. They still have myths to bust, I guess. And so you're chilling, you're watching Mythbusters and you hear a bunch of honking and you're like, what the crap? And you jump up, you look out the window and there are armed dudes walking toward your mom's car. Mm-hmm. In that moment, if you got to run upstairs and grab the gun from the safe, it might be too late. You might yeah. be in big trouble, right? But luckily this dude has the gun handy or on him, right? Now, let me give you another thought. It, is this is it awesome tactics? If, if this guy in the house was solely concerned about his own survival, would he open that door and walk out toward these men and start shooting? No, probably not. No, I wouldn't. But if you're concerned about my loved one, in this case, this is mm-hmm. mom. He's allowed to love his mom. Mom's out in the car, and so he makes the decision that none of us get to argue about that. That my mom is worth defending, even if it puts myself in a certain amount of tactical risk or danger. Then he opens the door and he takes out. But he might be thinking about things like cover. Where am I going to move to cover? You know, maybe I just open the door so I can get some shots. But I'm not actually going to, you know, work my way around the doorway. Maybe I'm going to use the doorway as cover. Uh, you know, those are all things that you might be thinking about when you think through the story. So put yourself in these people's shoes, and that's where some of your greatest, you know, learning comes. Absolutely, that's that's uh, spot on, man. Coolness. All right. Remember, defending strangers is optional. Your own survival is required. All right. I think we're running a little short on time. We had a couple more here, um, but I th- oh no, it looks like we do have one more. Okay. So we'll go through this last one. All right. This is from greensboro.com. Greensboro.com. Good job having a good website domain. That is a fantastic domain. <laughs> you guys rock. So this is the news and record. I'm guessing it's a newspaper or something, but their website is greensboro.com. And the headline is robbery suspect was one of two people shot in Friday's fatal shooting 
The other was homeowner. Now, if you follow the link in the show notes to this one and you read through it, you might start from the bottom and work your way up because the journalist did a horrible job of trying to tell the story. They buried the lead endlessly. So let me do my best to, to tell you what I understand. And Matthew, you, you jump in if you're like, no, Jacob, that's not what happened. Okay, <laughs> okay so we got, we got some criminals who are trying to commit a robbery. Uh, there's more than one of them. And they're in a home. And at some point, the homeowner, the dude, he, he retrieves his own firearm and he shoots at the bad dudes. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not sure who starts shooting first, but they're, they're, a, gun, a gunfight ensues between the armed robbers and the homeowner. Now, most of the stories we read, when a gunfight ensues, what do armed robbers usually do, Matthew? Yeah, normally they, they take off. They run because, yeah. you know, they don't like getting shot at. <laughs> but anyway, in this case, you know, there's some back and forth. And I'm not sure how much back and forth. I'm not sure how many shots are fired. But at some point, um, one of the shots fired by the BGs, the bad guys or bad gals, hits the homeowner's wife, who is also in the home, obviously. And she's dead. Yeah, very tragic. So, Matthew, what, what, did you, what did you take from this one? Yeah, this, this is kind of a, a sobering one. We normally, like you said, normally it's, you know, one guy prevails and it's normally the good guy, right? The bad guys flee or, or, or they, you know, they're injured, whatever, scooped up by ambulance, taken away. Um, in this case, this is the reality, right, of like, this is, this is what could happen. You know, whether or not it's you that's injured um, it could be your loved one that's with you, not only in your home, but maybe you're out, you know, maybe that first story we do, we talked about in, in the, in the restaurant, you're at that restaurant with your family and, and you know, um, while you're running out to get your gun, you, you know, your, your loved one is killed, your kid or your, your wife, husband. Um, and so I think this is one of those situations where you look at this story and you're like, wow, okay. I, you know, I don't know what I, what, what I could have done better. Perhaps, um, you know, it, it kind of spurs you to say, do I know any, you know, at least some basic trauma aid where I could, you know, apply a tourniquet or, or treat a wound, a gunshot wound on my loved one. Um, because I don't know in this case, it doesn't really go in, in, into saying it, it says she was shot in her, her uh, upper chest area, I think. So it might have you know, been a, a shot that went through her heart and she was bleeding out and there's nothing you can do. But um, who, who knows? You know? So whether or not you're in your home, outside your home, um, in, a, in a restaurant or whatnot, there's certain things that, that are universal, right? And like trying to be able to preserve life um, with your firearm by protection is one part of that. But the other part is maybe having some sort of idea of how to, how to perform some, some self aid or buddy aid on somebody that you love that that's, that's been injured by one of these, you know, uh, animals. Yeah. Great thoughts there about trauma and medical. I think that was really good. Two, two thoughts that I had were, uh, does, does everyone in my home know how to react to different circumstances? You know, am, am I going to get in a shootout with some dudes in my house and have my kids run toward me mm-hmm. where the bullets are oncoming? Uh, you know, do, do I have a good, adequate response plan and everyone knows their role and what to do? And, and by the way, maybe this person did and it just, you know, things didn't go as planned. That, that happens. Yeah. But, but, you know, you probably increase your odds of survival if everybody knows what their role is and what they're supposed to do. The other thing I thought about is 
Um, and we don't think about this a lot in a home, but we do think about it in some other smaller you know, venues and, and circumstances. But, you know, what is my role in drawing the fire away from my loved ones? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of just, you know, it's one thing for me to take fire. It's nothing altogether for me to, to cause the gunfight to take place in such a way that the angle of fire is toward people I care about. Again, maybe not something that can be controlled or predicted or whatever, but to the best of our abilities, those are things we can, we can do in advance that might be helpful as we can think about angles of fire and when and where we start to engage a gunfight and how we draw the fire away from loved ones. And we certainly can plan our response plans so that we don't uh, you know, end up with a bunch of people who don't know what to do in that circumstance and they, they end up in harm's way because of that, that ignorance or that lack of preparedness. Yeah, that's that's super valid. We can only control certain things, but we, you know, we can influence. We can definitely influence certain things that we can't always control, right? So we couldn't. We might not be able to control exactly where the the bad guy pops up in relationship to our family, but we might be able to influence that either by moving our family off, moving us from our family, or you know, through other techniques like stacking, you know, things in between uh, yourself and the bad guy. I mean, you, I just had this very conversation with my daughter, my five-year-old daughter. She's five and a half now, but uh, yesterday about when I give her like certain commands because um, you know, kids five and a half years old, they they don't always listen. I, I'm, if you don't have kids, I'm gonna, I'm, yeah, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag on that one. But um, they don't always listen right away, right? They're always like, oh, but why? But this and that. And I said, you know, I'm talking to my daughter. I said, there's certain times that if I tell you to do something, you have to do it right then and there because it's for your own safety. You can't ask why. You can't ask, but you can't do any. You have to react. And so um, I'm having these types of conversations with my five and a half year old daughters, you know, because I know when I'm out with her, if something happens, I'm going to have to say, go to mommy. And I can't have her say, but no, I'm going to say, go to mommy and I'm going to go a different way. And, and so these types of things, you know, you can start kind of building in. And, and, and so it's not such a foreign thing as they start getting older. And it's kind of just a, a common, common practice to be alert and pay attention and listen to commands and things like that. So yep. maybe, I'm, maybe I'm the crazy one, maybe, but yeah, you know, we had, uh, I don't remember, it was an early episode, but we had an episode of the podcast very early on called Isolate the Family, Defend the Room, IS, yep. IFDR. And uh, in the end of that episode, I kind of played back this little like mini family meeting with me and my kids. This is a couple of years ago where I was trying to explain to them how they were going to react and we were getting ready to do a role play. And anyway, so it's kind of a fun episode if you want to go back and listen to that and we could do more of that kind of thing in the future if that's of interest to people. Well, thank you, Matthew, for going through these news stories with me. Thank you, sir. Very, uh, very pleased and uh, happy to always do it. So I'm going to read some, it's been a while since we've done this. I'm going to read some reviews from iTunes. Oh, from cool. listeners. All right. So this is awesome. So here's one from this is, I'm going to just kind of go into, I'm going to read several. So from March 2nd, uh, this is from Urban Rage. So I don't know how I feel about Urban Rage having a gun, <laughs> but uh, Urban Rage says, enjoy the podcast. Five stars. Started listening just a few weeks ago. Great information. Really enjoy the justified stories and case of the week. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Urban Rage. Thank here's you. one from E. Copeman. Man, the best part about these reviews are people's usernames. That's oh, yeah, awesome. of course. So E. Copeman, on March 5th, he said, must listen, five stars. This podcast is an absolute must for anyone who owns firearms, concealed carry, open carry, or home defense. These guys really know their stuff and give you the facts, good and bad. I highly recommend this podcast. Well, thank you, E. Copeman. That's so nice. Clear, 
clearly talking about you and, and Riley. <laughs> I don't know. You're on the podcast more than me these days. All right. This one is uh, on April 3rd from Tim Gagnon. Gagnon. Okay. G-A-G-N. I don't know. Sorry, Tim. I can't, I can't pronounce it. So Tim says, awesome. Five stars. Thank you. Thanks for all the great content. I've been enjoying and learning from your podcast for over a year now and look forward to every episode. Thank you, Tim. Here's one. Uh, this guy, he, I'm pretty sure he, he just really loves that movie in the 80s from that one guy who's dead now. His username is Roadhouse76. Nice. Yeah. Love that movie. All right. So Roadhouse76 says, great job, guys. Wanted to give this podcast five stars. I look forward to every episode. I started listening six months ago or so, and I'm almost caught up. I'm in the car two plus hours a day and always listening when I can. Thanks. Dude, that's a long time to be in the car, but thank you for listening. All right, here's one on April 23rd from CTS81088. 810. Could be, a, could be a zip code. We should Google it. Sounds like a robot's name. <laughs> CTS81088. All right, CTS81088 says, uh, five stars, awesome. I really enjoy this podcast. I always look forward to the new episodes each week. Riley and Jacob always provide very useful information while still keeping things light and entertaining. Keep up the good work. Well, I'm not entertaining, so I will pass that one on to Riley. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for the reviews. I'll tell you, I recently was talking to some guys who also have a podcast in our industry. I will not disclose the name. And we have about twice as many subscribers and downloads as they do. And they have twice as many iTunes reviews as we do. So I was feeling very jealous. So those of you who love our podcast, I'm asking you to go to iTunes and give us a rating and a review if you can, because those things do make a big difference when people are searching on iTunes. Um, iTunes ranks us along with other podcasts based on the number of listeners and on the number of ratings and reviews. Now, if you guys are like, yeah, but Apple sucks and I don't have an iPhone, so how am I supposed to do that? I'm, I'm sympathetic for sure, but you can still just set up an Apple account. It's free. And you can go into iTunes and you can leave us a review. And I know that sounds like a lot of work, but we would super duper appreciate it. Be very grateful. And I promise to read more reviews in the future. So if you want to say something funny, we will read it out on air uh, from, from iTunes. So thank you very much for your reviews. A reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation and by the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. Now, uh, you've heard us talk about our app. I'm going to mention a very specific feature this week. If you download the Concealed Carry Gun Tool app, which is free uh, to your phone, you can download from the Apple App Store or from um, your Google Play for you Android people. When you have it downloaded, one of the features that I think is really cool, and this is a feature we recently added when we updated our apps in April, is the legal summaries. And Matthew, I know this is something you I think is really cool too. We, we talked about it. But basically, you go into the app, you click on, at the bottom, there's four sections. One says Maps. You click on Maps. And then at the top of that page, there are three options. One says Reciprocity. One says Maps. The other one says laws. You click on laws, and then you can select any of the 50 states there, and it will pull up an up-to-date, accurate uh, legal summary for that state. And we have it kind of separated by topics. So we talk about, okay, what are the laws for the state for? And then we have various topics like open carry, uh, vehicle possession by non-permittees, uh, training requirements in order to get a permit, who issues permits, how often do you have to renew the permit, um, you, what, what's the laws with state parks, national parks, restaurants to serve alcohol, things like that. So it's a pretty awesome resource. And uh, Matthew, I've recently, since we updated the app, I've been making all my students in my classes download it. Like I make them download it in class. I tell them they can delete it later. And <laughs> then I show them that feature. And it's, people are like, oh, and it's just, they're like, this is, this is huge. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, we did, we did the uh, gun law or the self-defense law quiz. And, and obviously, I mean, 
the the stuff that most gun carriers don't know about self-defense laws in their own home or even just or own home state or even just um the the concealed carry laws or gun laws in their own state would be is, is astonishing and so and, and some of it's outdated i mean it, it might not through no fault of their own they just haven't or well it is kind of a fault to not keep up on the law but i mean uh they might have had good good you know, info at one point, but 10 years goes by and things change. So to be able to have that accessible in your hand is really cool. And even when I was out in, uh, just out in Denver, right. And we had this conversation, I was like, Hey, I don't even know if my, my, uh, I have reciprocity out here with my permit from Ohio. And so, you know, we both said, yeah, it should, but pulled it up and, and checked it out. And it was cool. Not only the reciprocity, but the laws and, and things like that. So it was, uh, I mean, it's a really good feature. If nothing else, if you don't get the app for anything else, just that it by itself is it is worthwhile to, to keep on your phone. Yeah, that's free. You don't even have to set up a user account to access that particular tool within the app. There are some parts of the app that do require a user account, which is also free, but uh, you don't even have to give us an email address to access that. Um, you, you mentioned people's astounding lack of, of uh, knowledge about things. Here, here's Here's an interesting one. This is a comment on an article on our website over the weekend. The person said, what is being left out here is that if you live in a stand-your-ground state, you don't really need insurance as long as you use your weapon properly. Even if a family member of the deceased burglar you shot tries to sue you in civil court, they won't win, and you can countersue for expenses. Oh, that's what I'm – I mean, if, if that's case – I mean, that, that's, that's true. Then, yeah. That's- Black that's and not white. true. That's, that's apparently pro. false. So anyway, uh, yeah, guys, check out our app if you haven't already. Download it. Check it out. And uh, if you love it, please give us a five-star review on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. If you hate it or you find things that can improve, um, we'd actually appreciate if you didn't leave us a negative review. But you should contact us and report those bugs and tell us what issues you have so we can address them. We'd be very grateful. We want the app to be as awesome as it can be. So I think that's it for me. Uh, Matthew, anything to add? No, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your time and all the listeners. Um, you know, it's, it's always cool to get emails uh, from the podcast listeners saying uh, what they like, what they want more of and stuff. So keep those coming in. Yep, you can email us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. So with that, we bid you all farewell until later this week on Thursday with the Thursday episode. So remember, train right, train often train safe so you can fight hard fight fast and fight true goodbye everyone a reminder that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast